News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So, uh, I mean, I guess I I will wait to see if the speaker calls. Is that, is that where we are, Ryan? Just waiting? Okay. Uh, so, in the meantime, I will tell you about the running uh, battle I'm having with the moron. Uh, well, I mean, I shouldn't. Okay, I don't know. He could very He could be smart about other things. Okay, but let me start here. That... The uh, organization Education Choice, edchoice.org, put a poll out in the field. And what they came back with, I find this to be, whenever this question or a form of this question gets asked, I always find it to be uh, really instructive, the results. And maybe at some point in the future, it will, it will produce a different result. But um, so far it hasn't. It has always been the same result every time I've ever seen this question asked in some form or another. And it is essentially, you ask people, what do you think we spend per kid on education? That is you, that some form of that question. Tell me what you think we spend per kid. Sometimes it gets asked in the form of, do we spend enough on education? And then it's followed up with, you know, the actual figure. And then, you know, you ask people to comment. So there are just different ways that, that polling outfits kind of get at this, uh, this question. But what is always the case is that people do not know what we spend on education. They, they just do not know. Especially the people who advocate for more spending. This is why whenever I am in an uh, argument with somebody about... Uh, or a debate. I don't mean argument like yelling and screaming. I mean an argument in a rhetorical fashion, right? Like you're having a discussion, a debate. It's an argument. I'm making assertions as as are they. And I usually try to ask them, what is the number that is the optimal number that you'd like to see us get to? Whether it is about teacher pay or it's about per pupil funding, whatever the argument is, it would be much easier if we have a number where we can agree, like, this is what will produce for us some optimal outcomes. Not perfect. I'm not, and believe me, I recognize perfection, or as an old friend uh, would always say, utopia is not an option, right? That is not one of the options available to us, particularly if it's a government-funded program, but it's not one of the things that's available to us. A perfect solution here is not one of the options on the table. As is never the case when you have any kind of a man-made structure, right? And a government program or service is man-made, and so it is going to have flaws. Every man-made construction does. So, this poll asks teachers, how much do you think we spend on <laughs> on kids per pupil? What's the per pupil expenditure? And this, to me, is the first time I've seen this asked to teachers, because this is fascinating to me. Because it's one thing to ask members of the public. You know, members of the public, they may have no idea. Most of them don't, because it's, you know, maybe they're not even in tune to any of these debates and discussions, or education in general. They don't have any kids, or whatever. You know, doesn't matter to them, so they're not following it at all. But teachers? You would think teachers would have a pretty good understanding when provided a government-reported spending statistic, teachers were a lot less likely to say expenditures were too low. 
Teachers believe that government spending per student is actually lower than actual expenditures. They underestimate the cost. They underestimate what it what it uh, what funding is actually being provided for education. The question was, how much do you think is spent per year on each student in your state's public schools? And then your estimate of the state average to the nearest $1,000 will represent the combined expenditures of local, state, and federal governments. All three. So this is not just, you know, the, the state expenditure, which, by the way, in North Carolina... Uh, I forget the most recent number, but it's about seven to eight thousand dollars. I want to say about eight grand. You add in local supplements for like teacher funding. You add in the capital because, like, in North Carolina, the funding of the schools is separated between operational costs that are covered by the state and capital costs that are covered by the counties. Now, counties can add supplemental funding on top of the uh, state funding level. They're free to do that. And Mecklenburg County does. Many counties do. Um, But they're not required to. So when you take all of that together and you add it all together, well, in North Carolina, that number goes over $10,000. That's what we spend per kid in North Carolina with when you include the buildings and the local supplements and all of that. Um, So when teachers are asked this question, they estimate that we spend $5,000. That's their estimate. $5,000 per kid. You know what private school teachers estimated to be? Three grand. Charter school teachers estimated to be 4500 If you look at all teachers from all three groups, the uh, public schools, private schools, charter schools, add them together, the average is around $5,000. That's what they estimate we spend. But we don't. We spend more than that. The actual is over twelve thousand dollars. So think about that. These are averages. I understand, but these, you know, the the averages give you sort of an idea of the concept at play, which is that teachers underestimate by more than what, like fifty percent. So like they're under fifty percent at that actual funding level. They're estimating it to be five grand, and it's actually over twelve. They don't have a perception of the actual funding level. Why is that important? Because they they lobby for and they are considered to be, they are conferred status in the debate over funding levels, right? They they are they are conferred expertise, they are conferred wisdom, they are provided it is assumed that they know what they are talking about because they are teachers. And it turns out that on average, they do not. Now, what they do know is what they make, right? They do know their paycheck. And that's what they're arguing for, right? When you hear a lot of the arguments about teacher pay and per-pupil expenditures and that sort of stuff, they're arguing from their own perspective, their personal uh, evidence, right? What Their experience. And I'm not saying that it doesn't have any merit. But if you're looking at the system-wide policy and you're talking about funding levels across the board um, set by a state based on a schedule. And if you haven't seen this, the state literally puts out a schedule. It has like this chart. However many years you're, uh, you're employed, um, you get a certain amount of money. 
It's all spelled out on the chart. And as long as we're having a discussion about that instead of an individual teacher's performance, then you got to go up to the, yeah, you got to go to the 20,000 foot level. And so, yes, I do expect you to have an understanding of the actual cost to educate a kid in North Carolina. I expect you also to know what the average teacher pay is in the state, which, by the way, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about $54,000 a year, average teacher pay. And that doesn't mean you particularly make that, but that is the average. Okay, so if you're going to have a discussion about these things, these funding levels um, at a policy level, then you should have an understanding of the figures, which I never thought I would hear somebody advocate this, but this dude on Twitter, his name is Mike, he is advocating that it is not necessary to know anything about what you're talking about. So according to a poll by edchoice.org, they asked teachers their views on all sorts of things, you know, stuff like going back, are you confident going back to the classrooms, you know, you feel safe and that sort of thing. They asked them about education spending levels, what they thought, you know, you know, make an estimate, what do you think we spend per pupil and teachers uh, missed the mark by more than like 50%. They all pegged it at like $5,000 per kid when it's actually over $12,000 on average. So uh, there was that, but that isn't even the thing. Well, one of the things here that uh, really got me was this uh, major school choice policy vouchers. Would you think that it is popular or unpopular among teachers? Would you think vouchers are? Well, you'd be correct, whatever your answer was. Because if you just say vouchers, teachers tend to oppose them. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot of support, even among uh, charter and private school teachers. They don't, well, the strongly support, somewhat support numbers don't even clock in at like 40% for the uh, private school teachers. It's only 39% support it. When you say vouchers, in general, what is your opinion of school vouchers in K-12 education? And when that's the question and that's it alone, among all teachers, total support is 41%. It's the lowest uh, among the uh, actually private school teachers. Government school teachers, about 41% support it. 45% charter school teachers. But no, no majority in, in any of those groups. When you say, what's your opinion of school vouchers? Now, if I read the question with a description, and the description is as follows, quote, A school voucher system allows parents the option of sending their child to the school of their choice, whether the school is public or private, including both religious and non-religious schools. If this policy were adopted, tax dollars currently allocated to a school district would be allocated to parents in the form of a school voucher to pay partial or full tuition for the, the child's school. In general, what is your opinion of school voucher systems? When I read that to these teachers, the numbers go up by like 50-60%. It goes, like, among all teachers, the support, when I read that description, goes from 41 to 57% support. Uh, among charter school teachers, it goes up by 30 points, 45 to 74%. Private school teachers goes up 40 points from 39% to 79% approval. In the public school system, though, Only a nine-point difference. 
So once the charter school and private school teachers understand that the vouchers basically allow parents' choice to come to their schools, then they support it, which tells you what? That there is, again, a misperception of this thing that they have somehow or another come to conclude is a bad thing. But when explained, they now support. Sort of like the, the funding level. When you talk about the funding levels and you ask them, well, how much do you think we spend? And they're like, oh, 5000 And they're like, oh, well, it's actually 12000 Are you okay with the 12000 And when people generally are told how much is spent, they are generally okay with that level. When people find out how much money teachers make on average, they are generally okay with that average. You know why? Because they compare it to themselves. They compare that pay to them to their own pay. And when you live like in a state like North Carolina, where the average, and again, I'm not saying every teacher makes this, because not every teacher does. This is the average, and it includes the supplemental funding at the county level. But when you talk about the averages, and then you compare it to the average North Carolinian salary, the average North Carolinian household median income, it's actually lower. So an average teacher pay is higher than a household pay in North Carolina. Again, it's not for everyone, but those are the the averages. And well, in the case of the household median income, it's a median, um, which is a better representation than the than the mean, but doesn't matter. It's a it's a it's a good enough comparison that people know how much they pull in in their household versus what that salary is when it's reported when they see the teacher pay average salary. And so when people get that data, they then come to a different conclusion. I have said before, I will say it again, because every time I talk about teacher compensation, I always have to say this because I always get people like, you hate teachers. I want to pay the good teachers six figures. I think they're worth it. I think it's more art than science. I don't know how to reach kids in the way that really great teachers do. And I had great teachers. I did. But I also had really bad ones. And I refuse to pay the great ones the same amount of money as I pay the bad ones. Just because they've been there the same amount of time. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to extort me to that cause. You're just not going to be able to do it. So if you want to come up with um, a better way to do a merit-based system, merit-based compensation, I'm all ears. Republicans tried to do it when they took over the General Assembly. Democrats and the unions, but I repeat myself, uh, they fought it. And they blocked it, and they, they unwound it. So the, the idea of a merit-based compensation system, I'm all ears. Let's, let's hear how you do it. Of course, the teachers will tell you, the unions and such, and the Democrats, uh, and the media, but I repeat myself, they will tell you that they just can't figure out a way to do it. We can't, we can't assess this kind of thing. I mean, how do you measure a great teacher? Me, meanwhile, these are the people who give teachers awards every year for being the best teacher. Now, I don't know how they figure that out, but they can't figure it out for compensation purposes. But they do figure it out when they give awards for the best teachers. They somehow have figured that out. They also have somehow figured out a way to assess kids. It's kind of their job, right? Their job is literally to assess whether somebody is, is good or competent at what they are charged with knowing but they cannot figure out how to do it for themselves 704-570-1110 1-800-WBT-1110 email is pete at the pete calendar show.com and a couple of emails here this is uh first up here who is this tim 
who says, oh my goodness, all right, um, he says, regarding teachers not knowing how much is spent on students per pupil, I am not surprised that they don't know because they are one of the most mollycoddled groups in the whole country. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, he goes on to say they are babied, indulged, nursed, pampered, spoiled, and held to a higher regard than most deserve. In fact, most, but not all, could not get a better job if they wanted. Frankly, many are lucky to have a job for what is essentially babysitting. Now let the flame war begin. <laughs> Good grief. I mean, at least Tim is self-aware, knows that... Yeah, that's probably going to elicit some rea uh, reaction. I will say, every time I talk about this topic as well, I uh, I always point out a comment that was made to me uh, that I shall not divulge who it was who said it. It's not any elected official or anything, but the person who said it uh, knows who it is. And this person said uh, that they would deny ever having said it if I identified who they were. But they said most teachers don't want regular jobs like everybody else. They want better jobs than everybody else. But they would never say this because people close to this person work in the field of teaching. And so they don't, they would never say that publicly uh, or outside the presence of anybody uh, outside of me, just basically. Um, and so I will say also, this is from JD who says, in my opinion, if public schools were private businesses, that $12,500 per year to educate kids would get somebody fired and expenses would be reviewed with a fine tooth comb, which is kind of funny. Actually, there was a charter school that, uh, apparently, uh, went belly up recently. I, I did not read all the details. Um, but it doesn't matter, but it was being cited in North Carolina political circles yesterday and day before. And it's from the uh, because you got this is, of course, National School Choice Week. And so the uh, the opponents of school choice and the defenders and proponents of government education monopoly, uh, they uh, were touting the closure of this charter school as proof of why uh, there shouldn't be any choice. Uh, and uh, the, they want the dissolution of the uh, uh, the Opportunity Scholarship Program in North Carolina. The irony here, of course, is that they're literally making the case for choice. The closure of the school that is not operating well is proof of why choice is the better model. But they don't realize this. They never, and they never address this, by the way, either. If you're ever able to have a discussion about this with somebody, have a, have a debate or an argument, it's one of the things that they never can reconcile, which is what happens to a failing government school? What do you do when the school is failing? By whatever metric you want to apply. It doesn't matter to me how you want to classify that, okay? It doesn't matter. But when you determine that a government school is, in fact, failing, what do you do with that school? What happens? What happens to the students? What happens to the teachers? What happens to the administrators? What then? Usually you get an infusion of money. You get a bunch of plans. You get new administrators. Maybe you get some teacher shuffling or something. But that's generally the extent of it. The school doesn't get shut down. The school gets taken over by a different entity, a different governmental unit. Right. The state will come in and yeah, because the state's got all the experience running schools 
in North Carolina. No, it doesn't, right? It doesn't. It's the, the local units do, the LEAs, local education uh, agencies. So they are the ones that have the expertise. And so if they're the ones that have the expertise... Why would you think the state coming in that doesn't run the schools, why would you think they're going to be better suited to do that? Right? This is why I keep saying, the problem is the model. People keep trying to, to fine-tune these things and come up with you know, layers of, quote, accountability, but it's all inside the same model, and it all relies on the same sort of mechanisms, and so my opinion is they're, they're not going to be successful. So I saw this poll about teachers underestimating grossly the actual cost to educate a kid of what we actually spend to educate kids and in north carolina we're basically the average we're at the average now you can argue that we should spend more i would like to see some evidence that the more you spend equals better outcomes because in states that spend more they don't get the best outcomes in states that spend like you know here for example believe the last year i saw was utah a year or so ago utah spends like nothing utah as a state <laughs> They don't spend a lot of money on educating their kids per pupil. And they got some of the best outcomes. Why? Ah, now you're getting into you're getting into areas that cannot be easily quantifiable by data. Right? You can't say, well, it's because they had access to this government program or this service. You've got multi-layers, multiple layers of of uh, of approaches in Utah, and part of it has to do with the church. But the church provides all sorts of what would otherwise be considered, you know, welfare services, wraparound services. The church does that. The Mormon church does a lot of that. And and a lot of people would bristle if uh, they were in league with the local governments doing these things. Limited government types would have a problem with some of that stuff. Um, I posted this poll about the misperception of funding levels. And all I wrote was LOL. That's all I wrote. Laugh out loud. That's all I posted up there. Let people see the stat for themselves. And this fella named Mike, that's all I'm going to say, Mike, he says, and this is important because... So to Mike, his premise here is that it is not important that teachers don't know what the cost is to educate a kid. That's his premise. That's his assertion. Let me jump over here real quick. Hang on. Let me get uh, Brian on before the break. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Pete. Good. Yourself? Hey, I'm doing Um, all right. Question for you. Do you know how much the teacher, the North Carolina Teachers Union contributes to the Democratic Party on an annual basis? Um, I do not know the total there, but it is 100% of of donations. (laughs) They have no choice, right? They're... the money is earmarked for the Democratic Party. Yeah, pretty if much. Yeah. That- I mean, I guess if they found a, a Republican that they uh, that would, you know, deal with them or promote stuff that they wanted, they might. But I don't know of any that they actually have funded recently. How would we find that number? It would How, be in the where, filings. Where can we look to find the, that total number? The that state is being donated. Yeah, the state's got their filings and the FEC and whatever, like if it's a like national races and stuff, there are filings that they have to make. So we can find that. I can uh, I can do a search during the break and try to find out if anybody's got the the total. Um, but I don't know. And part of the problem is like 
with the from a from a membership role standpoint, we don't know how many members there are in the teachers union. Don't call it a union, the NCAE, because it's an association without collective bargaining. We right? don't. Yeah, we, we don't, don't know, know how many. No, because okay. they're not. They're it's not. They're not required to divulge that. We have a pretty good guess uh, be, based on like you can you can look at the total population of the uh, state employees and you can kind of figure out to some degree of certainty. But it's somewhere in the neighbor. I want to say it, it's it always is somewhere around ten percent, give or take uh, a couple percentage points. That's always the estimate. So. Uh, out of that group, though, yeah, I mean, the money that, that and these, it's all voluntary, so if you don't want to be a member of the association, you don't have to be, uh, but their money then gets drafted out and sent over to the Democratic Party uh, candidates uh, every election cycle. Well, but wait, wait a minute, if, if they're not a member, it still gets drafted out? No. They have no, no choice? No. No, 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 they do. They, 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 you, don't, you, you don't have to be a member in North Carolina, so if you're not a member, you don't have, your, you don't have dues deducted. Oh, Okay. But if you are a member, yeah, but if you are a member, then the dues that get siphoned out, yes, they do make their way over to the candidates. So if you don't want to uh, donate money to Democrats, then you shouldn't be a member of the NCAE because that's who they donate money to. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I got it. So to answer Brian's question, since 2000, North Carolina Association of Educators, the NCAE, or its political action committee has contributed... About $2.1 million, according to uh, the write-up by Civitas, uh, and this was through 2020. Uh, they have donated $2.1 million to candidates, candidate committees, or Democrat or Republican organizations. The overwhelming majority was contributed to Democratic candidates, committees, or organizations. One point seven out of the 2.1 million went to Democrats. 1.7 out of 2.1. 100,000 went to Republicans. <laughs> I don't know who they were, but 100,000. That mean, And by the way, this is over a 20-year period, going back to 2000. And so important to keep in mind that for the first half of that uh, two-decade period, Democrats were in control of the legislature. So first off, naturally, more money is going to go to the party in power. But also, you can throw some money at Republicans during that time frame as well. You can, you know, find some Republicans that are going to work with you and and you can, you know, kind of pick some off. A lot harder to do when they're in the majority. And honestly, over the last few years, the NCAE has become, you know, a radical Marxist organization at the leadership level. And um, and so Republicans have no real desire to work with them. I mean, why would why would you after what they've done? So um, approximately 80 percent of NCAE campaign spending went to Democratic candidates or organizations. Also, keep in mind that the NCAE is a state affiliate of the National Educators Association, the NEA, which is a major contributor on the national and local political scene as well. And uh, the NEA has given uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about a quarter of a billion dollars to federal candidates uh, going back to 1990. And 93% of those contributions go to Democrats. So this is, uh, this is why a lot of the stuff with education has become so politicized, because the unions are arms of the Democrat Party and Republicans know this. Voters know this. We see this. We're not stupid. So when you ha- and when you look at the contributions that 
Demo- or uh, teachers make, they all go to Democrats. So what are we supposed to make of that? Except that, obviously, you are using the schoolhouse and this organization and this government agency. You're using this stuff for political aims. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Anyway, so let me get to this. Uh, let me pay this off. So Mike on the Twitter machine, he doesn't know why he th- why this is important uh, when I when I... Noted that this polling shows that teachers don't know what the average is when it comes to per pupil expenditures. And he says, why is this important? And I I said, you know, teachers not knowing the amount spent on educating kids while demanding more be spent on educating kids. Gee, I don't know why. Why would that be important, do you think? He says it's not their job to handle the budget. See, so now he's automatically immediately shifts the conversation to now that's not their job to know the budget. It's not the budget. It's the per pupil expenditure. When you come to me and say, we need to spend more money to educate kids, then I expect you to know what we are spending to educate kids. Unless, of course, your argument is simply more, which is what his argument is, because then he shifts to then teacher pay. He starts trying to shift the argument into a teacher pay argument. And uh, finally... He ends up with, do you think that the Amazon workers trying to unionize for better conditions and pay understand or care how much it's going to cost Amazon? They don't. And I just pointed out that the assertion that the unions don't know business costs is probably not actually a very good argument. It's not the argument you think it is. Okay. (laughs) That's a wrap for the show. Appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for hanging out. Brett Winterville coming up next. Stay tuned on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. See you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.